This is Mo. He's a bad film hatin' while I skatin' all the while masturbatin'. That's, that's Mo Pawn, yeah. yeah. And with me as always is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow, bow. Yes, Mo. And if uh, anyone listening right now notices an interesting uh, dichotomy in terms of the amount of energy both of us will have during this episode, <laughs> there's a really good reason for that. Because once again, and I'm going to say for the last time ever, which hopefully it will be, <laughs> this is our second time recording this episode. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the, actually, those listening right now and those who are uh, paying attention to our Facebook group or just kind of generally pay attention to the schedule of the show are probably wondering why it's taken so long to get this fucking episode out. Uh, and they've been waiting impatiently, asking us on a daily basis, where the fuck is the episode? Where's the episode? I can't live without the episode. Um, there's a number I've never, of... I've never heard anybody say I can't live without the episode, but we do get asked regularly. Well, I'm jumping to that conclusion, but I mean, I imagine... Uh, I, 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 how do they live without it? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, if you ask me. Um, but uh, there are a number of different reasons why uh, this episode has been delayed. Originally, it was supposed to come at the end of 2014. It was supposed to be uh, the palate cleanser that came at the end of 2014, since we were kind of we chose a film that was sort of a, a sure thing. Um, but instead, it uh, it it was uh, meant to be that it would be kicking off 2015. However, a lot of the enthusiasm that we had for it, <laughs> we we I was going to say we used it up on the first recording, but no. When when it's a movie that's this good, we can we can bring it back. If anything, this is going to be a more polished version of what we did before. Right. Theoretically, that's a big a, theoretical. A low low energy, more polished version. Of low energy. Now Mo is it sounds a little tired. Why is that, Mo? Uh, I'm sick, and sick? I and I just woke up. Uh, so that should tell you how much I pestered Mo into doing this again <laughs> as quickly as possible, mostly. Because I had already announced that we had recorded it and got uh, retweeted by uh, the folks at Astron 6 and uh, the Manborg account on Twitter. And there was some real excitement about it. And I was like, oh, fuck, if I don't get this out here for a- another week or two weeks, people are going to be right. pissed off. Right, so, right. so we're doing this for the people. For the people. For the people. The Germans? Uh, <laughs> not, not uh, I, I mean, it should be noted uh, that this was also meant to be not just a uh, palate cleanser, but um, but really kind of a step back, or a step forward, I should say. After three films, we, we took our international excursion with the guinea pig film and violent shit, and then we came back to the United States with I Dream of Dracula, mm. our, our last episode. Does everyone remember I Dream of Dracula, how much fun we had with it? 
God, I I remember I Dream of Dracula. It wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to beat up on it, but it wasn't a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fucking horrible. Uh, yeah. So so, but this time we're heading to Canada. Guaranteed awfulness. Guaranteed. I mean, aw- I mean awesomeness. I mean awesomeness. Oh my, that that uh-huh. sounds controversial. Uh, yes. Now we're we're heading to Canada, as I've already given away uh, just a moment ago. For those who don't already know, and you certainly should, this episode we are going to be featuring 2011's Manborg. Manborg. Now Manborg is a really interesting movie for a lot of different reasons, but uh, one of the most uh, notable elements about it is that it only cost a thousand dollars to make. Yeah, but looks like at least fifteen hundred on screen. <laughs> no, it's actually actually it's really I mean just amazingly like polished and stylized and, and just sort of incredible for what it is and the fact that it only cost a thousand bucks is I mean just really really impressive you know one of the things i was being a little cheeky when i wrote it but on the facebook group for no budget nightmares i posted that manborg cost one thousand dollars so what's your excuse for not being able to make a movie as good for the same amount now i was being just a real dick about it because for one thing i i helped make a movie for almost a thousand dollars and did not come fucking close to what they did with manborg (laughs) but but it it was kind of meant to raise a larger point which is that if you play to the strengths of the talent that you have, and especially when you're working in a collaborative capacity like Astron 6 does, um, then you can really create amazing things, especially in 2014, 2011 even, with the technology that's available to you, where you can make something look like a movie, even if it's a very ultra-stylized one like this one, and do something completely different. One of the things I say all the time, one of the really refreshing things about no-budget filmmaking is that you don't have to live by any rules. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So the fact that everyone, not everyone, there's so many filmmakers just make tributes to slasher movies, it gets a little much sometimes because you could be doing anything. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, 100% true. Now, uh, Mo, you are familiar with the uh, the some of the earlier work of Astron 6. Now, for those who don't know, Astron 6 are a filmmaking collective, a Canadian filmmaking collective. The best kind, I would say. Uh, there are five members of that group. Uh, the Astron Six are named uh, Astron Six because the sixth member is you, the audience. And I'm speaking to you, the listeners, right now. Yeah, not me. Not you. You are well. You're an audience member too. I guess. But you did uh, see their earlier film, the one that was made uh, immediately before Manborg, called Father's Day. Yeah. Which uh, and, Fa- and Father's Day is super impressive too because that one was made for what like ten thousand dollars and looks like a million bucks on screen. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you know, and and it's it it does one of those things which I've complained about a little on this show in that it's trying to make it look like a uh, exploitation movie from like the seventies and it's got some of that graininess in it, but it does it so much better than almost all of the examples yeah. that, that we usually see. And it's also honestly, it's probably the best movie released by Troma in. A decade. <laughs> in ages. In yeah. ages. A really long time. Uh, so uh, people were very excited when they announced they were doing a follow-up. Uh, well, not a follow-up, or at least their next film. And one of the most interesting things about Manborg is that it's so different. It's you know Even though it still has that kind of – it's super violent, as it would be, and it's yeah. profane, and it has that kind of still that interesting sense of humor about it, uh, it, it doesn't feel at all um, in terms of content like what Father's Day is. And even after that, I went to TIFF last year. I went to, uh, and saw the the first showing of their latest film, The Editor, which is like a tribute to uh, Gialli films and, um, and and 
the the kind of ultra stylized murder scenes from those Italian exploitation movies, and it's amazing how much they do with their budget, but also how different it is from both Manborg and Father's Day. Mm. Yeah, no Father's yeah, Day. Still- yeah, that one I still need to see. I still need to see the editor. Yeah, and it, it's totally worthwhile. In fact, friend of the show, Jeff X. Martin, called the editor his favorite movie of 2014. And uh, co-host of the show, Mo Porn, called Jeff X. Martin a weirdo. What a weirdo that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that we just pumped it up only to call him a weirdo for thinking that. I, I, I like the editor. I had a good time with it. But I actually think it might be the least of the three Astron 6 movies so far. Just mm. my opinion. And maybe a second viewing will reveal more. Uh, seeing it bleary-eyed at, like, I think I saw it at 9 a.m. <laughs> Maybe this isn't the best time to be watching wow. it. Wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but but we're not here to talk about the editor, and we're certainly not here to talk about Father's Day, though that's something that we could cover at some point. Yeah. Uh, we're here to talk about the $1,000 Manborg, <laughs> directed by Stephen Kostansky, uh, and uh, written by Stephen Kostansky and uh, Jeremy Gillespie, two members of Astron 6, and the whole group is in this movie in one capacity or another. And what I said earlier about working to their strengths, you really see that on display here, where, I mean, to be honest, they're all very reasonable actors, and especially comedic actors, but some of them are a little better than others, and uh, it's you know what it reminded me of? And this is going to sound like a really strange comparison. It's It's like how when Monty Python were making their films, uh-huh. They would use Graham Chapman in the in kind of the lead straight man role, be- right? Because he could play that role better than any of the other group members, and they right, were all right. great. But in this case, they they know how to cast the actors to play to their strengths, and uh, and that really works here, especially in the character of Manborg himself, who is such it's such an odd character. It just a really, uh, uh, yeah, odd is probably the perfect word. Just, <laughs> we'll, we'll get more into that when we get to the film. Which we will yeah. momentarily. Now, uh, we sometimes, in fact, people have given us a hard time sometimes about mentioning that we don't consider a movie feature length until it reaches about 90 minutes. And Manborg does not reach 90 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, personally, I've said 75. Yeah, but, I think 75 yeah. is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, this one, I mean, it, it just barely hits, well, not even 75 in this case, and that's even oh. with a attached trailer at the end for Biocop, which we'll, ta- which we'll touch on briefly about what that's all about. Right. But, but, you know, but that said, one of the... One of the great things about this movie and the great things about good no-budget movies is that even if they're short, if they don't overstay their welcome, then they're still a really satisfying experience. Right. And this one does not overstay its welcome. Keep no, it, it gets in, it, it eye-reaps you for a little bit, and then gets out. Yeah, that's your way of describing what, what happens with this movie. Exactly. <laughs> this movie, Manborg has 5.7 out of 10 as the user rating on, on uh, IMDb. How do you feel about that? What does it have? Five point seven out of ten. Uh, you know what? That that actually is uh, pretty surprisingly good. Um, not that I'm saying the movie's bad, but it's such a niche sort of mm. thing that to have that high of a rating because it's like on Rotten Tomatoes where you have to sort of like know how to read it. You know, you can't just say, "Oh, this movie's terrible" because it has a thirty-seven percent. Exactly. You know, it just means that the, that it's it's specialized to a specific market. You know, so to have like essentially what would be considered uh, 55 or so percent, you know, uh, approval rating is is pretty good for something that's so niche. And, and, you know, speaking of niche, and this is something we discussed on the first version of this recording, the example of Astron 6 is a really 
it's a really interesting one when it comes to the marketability of ultra low budget movies. Mm. Uh, because the, there was a Q&A with, the, with uh, some of the members of Astron 6 right after the, the screening of the editor at, at, uh, at TIFF. And it was really interesting. They're very laid back. They're very honest and very sincere about what, what they were trying to do. But one of the things that was revealed, and, and it's not a secret at all, was that the, the members all work day jobs, right? right, that, right. This, that making these films cannot be their full-time profession. And considering how at the top, uh, you know, and if you consider Manborg no budget, if you consider Father's Day no budget, maybe the editor is a, is a slightly uh, higher level than those. But considering that I was watching that, a premiere at one of the most, um, one of the largest and most respected film festivals in the world, and the people who made the movie still can't make a living at it. I mean, you want to talk about niche. That's that's kind of the. It's something that that people trying to get into no budget filmmaking really have to keep in mind that making a living at it is so hard. Yeah, it's almost tragic that you know here we've got these this group of guys who are you know so super talented, and and here they still have to work day jobs because they can't make money at the thing they're so good at. And also taking into account that if you are not making movies at this level, then then the likelihood of you being able to make a living shrinks exponentially, right? Because right. that niche, it's almost a niche within a niche. And I mean, I like watching movies that are made, uh, that, that, are, have, that are rough around the edges. I mean, we watch a lot of them, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, and we can enjoy that, but... I mean, Manboard got a fairly large DVD release, at least here in Canada. It's it's pretty easy to track down and find, but uh, even that isn't going to be, you know, it'll never be a blockbuster. So the hope is that the Astron 6 as a group can keep growing, but, uh, you know, of course the concern there is always that the larger they get, the less special it'll become. Right. Well, and then, and then you've got the same problem, too, is the larger they get, you know, the 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 more likelihood it is that they're going to end up not working together anymore and right. going off their separate ways. Absolutely. And, and then it becomes a whole different, you know, kettle of fish. Which is why we must appreciate the work that we have. And today, we're appreciating, and of course we'll be honest about any criticisms we might have, Manborg from 2011. Manborg. Manborg! Um, yeah! Ha! Let's just jump into it. Uh, now, the let's movie starts with, uh, of course, some text on the screen, setting the stage, telling us the kind of situation the world is in in the movie. And in fact, uh, it, we, we already things are kind of fucked up even when we begin. Yep. Because hell has, has over... come to Earth. Yeah, hell, it, it's a hell on Earth. You know, I've been watching a lot of rapture movies lately where, uh, <laughs> where shit goes down and Gary Busey has to save us all from, uh, I don't know, I haven't really been paying attention. But in those movies, hell overflows as well. But in this movie, hell, like, really literally... Hellspawn are, are walking the earth. There's a fight between the humans and the hell armies. Yep, the hell wars. And in fact, hell won. Uh, they hell, won that war. Hell wins, yeah. And uh, the the armies themselves are they're, they're led by <laughs> the monstrous leader Count Draculon. Ugh. <laughs> that name. The name is, well, it's like Manborg, right? It's so obviously dumb that it right, makes it almost right. perfect. Yeah. Uh, so the the movie itself, once we get past this opening text scrawl, is we start right into war. There's a war going on, and for those who are unsure about the visual style that they're about to see, it gives you a really clear taste right away. This is a movie that was made almost entirely against a green screen. Yeah. And it has, like, dozens of different layers of... Uh, effects and, I mean... And, you know, s- and awesome stop motion. Stop motion. I mean, that... 
there's something very comfortable about watching this movie because of that sort of thing where you right. can tell that it's kind of slip sh- slap shot in some ways, but that just makes it more kind of appealing because you know that they're doing it specifically to get a reaction from a certain type of audience member. Right, right, right. Uh, now, the makeup on the mutants that you see here is actually really good. A lot of them are just done with like kind of masks that are – I don't know much about makeup effects, but but they really do the job, even if they sometimes are kind of masking their mouths a little bit. But it's okay if their mouths are being masked because of why. Because the entire movie is recorded in ADR. Yeah, the movie is ADR. I, I, I think that was the case with both Father's Day and certainly in the editor as well because they're trying to bring to mind those 70s explo- uh, exploitation movies, which were all post-dubbed anyway. But yeah. in this case, uh, it's done to, again, humorous effect and probably made it a lot easier to film the way that they were filming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, we are introduced to the main character who will become Manborg uh, because he is fighting alongside his his brother. His brother slash superior officer. Superior officer. And, and in fact, his brother gets annoyed when he refers to him as his brother. <laughs> his brother ends up being... Uh, yeah, bro. I mean, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> his brother ends up being killed on the battlefield. Uh, and uh, he, he tells, um, the brother tells the, the guy who will become Manborg, which I don't think he's ever given a name. He's not. He's he, just Manborg. He tells him to remember, it's not about the killing. It's about family and gives him a photo of the two of them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, before uh, Count Draculon himself shows up. Yeah, he convinces his brother to run off. You know, yeah. But he, he doesn't get too far before Draculon's already on top of. Sarge, you know. Yeah, and and Draculon, he picks him up and he like bites his neck because he's a vampire. Yeah, not just a, not just Hellspawn, but also a vampire. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> and uh, but of course, seeing his brother go through this, he uh, a Manborg, the future Manborg, tries to stop Draculon, but it does not go well. Right. Although he does get a shot off on him. Does get a shot off and and shows Before that his yeah, gun is chopped in half. And uh, and this is. The human version of Manborg's final words. Go to hell. Not yet, but soon I will bring hell to you. All right. Actually, I guess more accurately, that was the brother's last words before he got killed that made uh, future Manborg come over and, and try to stop Draculon. Draculon ends up holding him up and all of his men shoot him with lasers because it's the future. Yep. Because <laughs> he says something like Dracula says, such a shame you are so fragile. We could have had a real fight. Indeed. That sounds like it would be setting up something a little bit later. I, I don't know about that. Okay, all right. Well, we'll <laughs> I guess we'll agree to disagree. I, but, I, but I don't know anything about foreshadowing, so. For what now? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but who gives a fuck about this opening? Because it got to go directly into a sweet opening credits montage of... Uh, this uh, now corpse being turned into Manborg, and I love I love like montages like this, like opening credit, you know, uh, you know, because uh, it's very six million dollar man. It's very RoboCop, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think in my notes I have uh, very Inframan. I mean, the, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a part where the kind of the classic shot of the robotic hand curling, but in this case it's done with stop motion. It looks so great in that it doesn't look. Good, but it looks perfect. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. And we, we also get some sweet-ass music playing in the background. Let's have a little taste of that. <laughs> you, 
you can hear all those those machine noises. <laughs> so yep, perfect. That... Yeah, the the uh, sound design on this is is really well done. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it there's that extra level of kind of professionalism and sheen here that you don't normally see on such a low budget movie. Probably might have pushed it outside of that thousand dollar budget when you really think about it. Uh, but uh, but hey, what you see is what you get. I don't know why that connects to what I just said at all. <laughs> Man, Borg! And here I die. <laughs> Mo is sick and sleepy. Ugh. Now, Mo, describe the look of Man Borg in this movie. You mean aside from green screened? Well, no, I don't mean the look of the movie. I mean the character of Man Borg. Oh, okay. So we've got Man Borg, who is. Um, well, he's very. Uh, <laughs> You ever see a, a little kid make himself into a robot with, like, <laughs> boxes and, like, you know, uh, pieces of, of like, that tubing from dryers? Absolutely. And, yeah, well, that's basically what Manborg sort of looks like. But done well enough that it's clear that some talent went into making his costume. Um, my, I think my favorite thing about Manborg is that the be, is that he actually his look actually changes a little bit as yes. the as the film progresses, and at the beginning he's got all these ridiculous LED lights on him <laughs> that as the filming progresses they must have broke or something because they just kind of stopped being there. It's great. I just like the idea of how difficult it must have been to have consistency in that costume, considering it looks like. They're just random pieces placed, like random electronics just yeah. placed all over him. Right. He also moves around with robotic sounds like uh, like Robocop does with like in that yeah. stiff, you know, almost like dancing and doing the robot. Uh, when I worked in um, in computer repair, I used to take cardboard boxes and draw robot faces on them and put them over my head and uh, take like ram- sticks of RAM and be like, delicious RAM chips, and put it into the robot mouth. What do you think about that, Mo? I think you're insane uh, you gotta pass the time when you don't want to fix people's shit that's true <laughs> that, that's the lesson learned from working retail <laughs> so manborg himself is uh brought to life uh punching his way out of a metal coffin metal sort of metal metal is styrofoam yes <laughs> uh, aluminium foil uh, right. And he's screaming, and we, you know we get a sense of what he's like right away. Now, the character of Manborg is extremely interesting because, despite him, the movie being named after him and him being the heroic character at its center, he also has less dialogue than anybody. Oh, he's so monosyllabic; it's not even funny. It's, well, it actually it is very funny. Yeah, it's hilarious, and his responses are stilted and sometimes make no sense at all. <laughs> That's that's my favorite part is that is that he'll say like his reactions to things just no sense. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great, and it's also the kind of humor that not everyone would necessarily pick up on, which makes it all the better. You know, I mean, dumb people. So uh, because hell has overthrown the earth, uh, shit has gone really bad. The city itself that that the the movie takes place in is all futuristic, sort of <laughs> Blade Runner on a budget. Uh, it uh, it it's mostly created using CG and different kind of layered elements, but it, you know it does the job for what it is. Yeah, it looks pretty good. So Manborg, the first one of the first things he sees uh, is somebody getting beaten uh, in sort of an alleyway, and he goes to interject and is stopped by one of the other main characters of this film named Number One Man. Number One Man. Number One Man is an Asian martial arts expert, and he is dubbed. Uh, 
quite obviously, <laughs> yeah. and comically. Uh, and he, you'll, you'll notice the archetypes as we get to them. But yeah, so he's going to be the martial arts guy, the good guy, who tells Manborg to uh, to to stay back, uh, that they need to work together if they're going to get out of this alive. Right. But uh, but you know, Manborg decides that that's not going to happen, and he ends up calling out to the because because they're witnessing uh, like a, a, a is it like a woman or is it a man? I don't know. It's whatever. a woman. It's actually the yeah. woman that will get uh, will be introduced to you a little bit later, turning mm-hmm. into sort of a creature to attack this person that's being uh, beaten up. Uh, and and this is the response, and this is this will tell you a little bit more about the Manborg character. Right. You stop. Nope. And he like nope. yells everything. Nope. Yeah, that's Manborg saying nope. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up uh, fighting the uh, mutants, and this uh, this gives our first taste of kind of the. Well, not the first taste of excessive violence, but some of the more bloody violence, the more kind of gore. Uh, there's a part where Manborg, like a because we don't know the, the abilities that he has. In fact, he's not even sure. Yeah, a big kind of no spike idea. comes out of his arm uh, that he stabs. Yeah, sword. sword. That's right. You're right. An arm saber. Yeah. Then he stabs one of the guys through the skull, and and yeah, it's pretty terrific. I described it as a sweet ass blade hand. It is a sweet ass blade hand. That's a much better way than what I said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so number one man and uh, Manborg they fight the mutants, but eventually the mutants overtake them, uh, and uh, they kind of tie them up and bring them to what's the city called again? Mayhem City, but we we have to talk about one of the one of the one of my favorite practical effects in the entire film, uh, where Manborg uh, sprouts that sweet ass blade hand, uh, and then uppercuts one of them like straight through under the chin, and then pulls out and just splits the dude's face. <laughs> you know, like if you ever seen the uh, the cover of uh, the film Zombie Rampage, right? You know, it's sort of like that where the face is split, but not with the skull coming out. The face you know. was split. It's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, Rudy. <laughs> You'll see. Here's a timely uh, Bill Cosby impressions. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so they are brought into uh, Mayhem City. You said. Yep. Mayhem City. Uh, are you vaping while sick? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once brought into the city, uh, we are introduced to, I think, the person who are, uh, is both Mo and myself's uh, favorite character in the film. And maybe one of the greatest villains of all time. Maybe one of the greatest characters of all time, certainly in the no-budget uh, genre in which we uh, spend so much time watching. And that is the Baron. The Baron. Now, the Baron is a difficult character to describe, but thankfully we have some audio clips which will, which will explain it in a lot more detail. But uh, he is supposed to be kind of like the evil second-in-command for Count Draculon. Yeah. But the other notable thing about him is that he is a romantic. A uh, uh, hopeless romantic. He's a hopeless romantic. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, but he's also just kind of, he's, I hate to use the word quirky, but he's quirky in a way that you'll see is very interesting. Yeah, it's yeah he yeah su- yeah super quirky is really a great fucking term to use for him. He really is. He's wearing, uh, he's wearing these big goggles as well, which will be explained in just a little bit. He and his like lips are like pulled back. He looks like a cinnabite, basically. Yes, you know what? That's yeah. a really great, uh, like that chattering one, especially. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so, because there's a there's a point in my notes where I say watching someone with no lips smoke is pretty fascinating <laughs> and, and cough uncontrollably. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so this is where Mina is going to be. Uh, Mina, sorry. This is this is where Manborg is going to be introduced to the rest of the main characters of the movie because he's taken to a laser prison cell. Now this prison. Basically, what they do is they groom these prisoners, groom in some way. They keep saying to prepare them, but I don't see how they're doing that. Yeah, they never prepare them. They just basically their way of preparing them is like, well, you guys are going to fight now. Yeah, they fight basically in a, in an octagon, uh, gladiator style. Again, yeah, what's the, what's what's the name of that octagon again? Uh, you know what? I have it written down here. Then I'll get to it in my notes. But it, oh, okay. it, I, oh, the terror octagon. The terror octagon. The terror octagon. Uh, you're fired. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so so they they have to fight in these gladiator combat, and uh, in our initial recording, this is the point where I mentioned my love for the Charles Band film Arena from uh, I think 1989 or 1990, which uh, I know you haven't seen. Mo. I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen. You mean in the day between the time we recorded before, <laughs> you haven't managed to watch it? Well, uh, there are other things in the day since our last recording that you mentioned that I have watched. So. That's interesting. I want to learn more about this. Well, you will after we're done talking about the movie. All right. Uh, so uh, we get introduced to the two other main good guys. Uh, the first one is Mia. Amina, uh, sorry. I fucked up the name last time, too. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> last time I said Miranda, remember? You made a Sex yeah. in the City joke. I did make a Sex in the City joke. Yes, it's Mina. You're, you're so Miranda. <laughs> I'm such a Miranda. Um, Mina is, she's sort of kind of anime-ish. She has blue hair. Uh, and she's a badass woman. And then there's Justice. And then there's Justice. Now, Justice is played by Astron 6 member Connor Sweeney. And the most notable thing about his character, Justice, is that he has a accent. Oh, and what an accent he has. <laughs> what an accent. In paying tribute to, say, the post-apocalyptic movies of the 80s, uh, particularly the Mad Max films, which, of course, were filmed in Australia... He has an Australian accent, and it is amazing. Amazing. Well, it's funny, though, because I remember thinking to myself as I was pulling the audio clips, because I always pull the audio clips before I actually watch the movie, uh-huh. um, a little behind the scenes there. And I keep and like, and I kept thinking to myself, like, is this guy supposed to be, like, Cockney, you know? Because <laughs> the, the accent is so ridiculous, that, and it changes so much that it's, like, really hard to tell. It's not until you see him. It's like once you see him, you realize, oh, okay, he's supposed to be Australian. Right, right. And if, <laughs> he, he, half the joke is visual. Yes, half that joke is visual. And he is a very interesting character because he's so intense. He's supposed to be a complete asshole. Uh, he punches things for no particular reason. But that accent is such a beautiful thing. Uh, and, you know, Manborg gets to introduce himself to this character, and you'll get a little taste of what the accent sounds like right here. My name is Manborg. Manborg? More like asshole. <laughs> Be sure to remember that quote because it might come in handy a little bit later. And uh, and so of course that little slappy here at the end is uh, is probably the best part of that entire scene because he's slapping his bicep as he's pulling his arm up to uh, to flex. Yeah, William Regal style. Very William Regal style. <laughs> Jesus Christ, brilliant. Now, uh... Justice also gets upset that Manborg is looking at Mina because he says that she is his sister. Uh, that doesn't really come into play or make a lot of sense considering he is Australian. Yeah. <laughs> and also because we meet someone later who might actually be Mina's sister, but uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, another character is introduced at this point, and that is Dr. Scorpius, who is a human, but a human who is working with the evil uh, Hellspawn, 
and and his job is, I guess, is to prepare the gladiators for combat. Right, and we should note at this at this point in the film, uh, number one man has already defended Manborg, saying that because he killed one of the Hellspawn, he trusts him. That's right. That's All it. Right? So just just remember, keep that in mind because. <laughs> We're going to get to something that's in a minute that's going to change all that. Now, uh, Dr. Scorpius, interesting character as well. We'll learn a lot more about him in just a little bit. But uh, he is not treated very well by the Hellspawn characters. By no. The baddies. No, especially the Baron. Yeah, and we should also mention that there's there's like a floating but... stop-motion Cylon-like robot floating around in this prison cell. Right. It's pretty terrific. But yes, you're right. The the Baron does not treat him very well. <laughs> and this is also the part where we see the Baron. Uh, he, we first get a sense that he has a crush on Mina. Well, before we get to that, I, I, I like to I like to note that uh, that the, the, the Baron, when he's like before he walks in and meets Mina, he's talking <laughs> to the doctor, you know, about getting them ready to fight. And then when he's done, just kicks the doctor's cane out right from underneath him and he just falls over. It's fucking brilliant. Because there's a, there's a fine line between being evil and being just like a dick, and he was being a dick, which is so much funnier <laughs> in right, this sort right. of context. Right. Uh, and, and they have a complicated relationship, as we'll see in a little bit anyway, maybe not as one-sided as it might seem. Um, and so this isn't a case where because he has a crush on Mina, uh, the Baron in this case, that he's going to be uh, like forcing her to do things, it's very kind of schoolboy crush-ish. Except right. one of the characters is a hell spawn. Yeah, it's it's puppy love. <laughs> and in fact, uh, he suggests to her that they might be able to uh, get together at some point, and uh, and this is the response. I'd rather be dead. Indeed, we have so much in common. Be seeing you. <laughs> Be seeing you. Let me just takes off. Be seeing you. <laughs> so it's time for the first fight. Uh, the, uh, the the laser jail opens, uh, and the 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 rest of them are herded out into the Coliseum. Uh, Justice dances, dancing, but he dances his way out. There. <laughs> and he gets zapped for his nope. trouble. No dancing. <laughs> so there, the, this is the Terror Octagon, and it is just like a giant arena surrounded by thousands and thousands of. Um, I guess hell creatures who just want to see a good fight. This 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 scene has another really great and inexplicable response from Manborg too, where I believe it's Justice who says to him, he goes, "Get in my way and I'll kill you." And he goes, "What? What?" <laughs> <laughs> There's also a voiceover uh, during this from the Baron who says that uh, the, the that. There is there is no losers in the octagon. You either win or die. And then he goes, now that I say that out loud, it seems fairly <laughs> obvious who the losers will be. <laughs> so you have sort of like hover bikes floating around, and all the rest of the characters are basically have to kill the people on these bikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's super violent that we get to see all of them. Now, Justice has like a, a gun. Uh, I don't know. Like they have all these weapons <laughs> which are used sort of randomly. Right. Uh, Mina. He's got a pair. Of, he's got a pair of guns. That's right. He has two guns. Yeah. And um, and they they actually are pretty successful uh, combating these these baddies. Number one man, I think, fights just a gladiator one on one and punches his head clean off. To the death, please. But we also get introduced to some of Manborg's abilities, which he is actually not sure that he has at this point. Right. When when they start asking him why he isn't doing anything, he uh, he, <laughs> I, I have written here that he pulls out a giant gun, but he doesn't pull it out. It sort of just uh, 
erupts out of his arm. Right, exactly. It's sort of like his arm becomes a transformer and, and this giant gun sort of appears there. Yeah, exactly. And he starts shooting. Uh, and at first he does really well because he kills a gladiator, but he can't control it. He's just shooting all over the place. And he almost actually shoots Mina in this sequence as well, which she is not very happy about. Nope. And in fact, he's not very happy either. This is his response to the gun going off. Which I think we established that that might be the longest line of dialogue he has in the entire film. (laughs) Now, they, uh, they actually, I mean, they win without really much trouble at all. But because of that incident, the rest of the good guys, they immediately stop trusting Manborg. Right, yeah, because he accidentally almost kills Mina. Yes, and in fact, their immediate response from Justice, uh, well, we'll get a, another sense of what his uh, his accent sounds like. Those are some pretty fancy shenanigrams you pulled back there, man, Bog. Shenanigrams. Yeah. And he says shenanigrams several more <laughs> times during the course of the film. So because he accidentally almost shot Mina, despite actually shooting the bad guys, they worry he's a spy immediately. That, well, that's that's my that's my favorite moment is because because number one man who was just vouching for him, saying he trusts him, is now the one saying, "Oh, I think he might be a spy." Yeah, and they they say that he's not really a man at all, and he's like, "I am something else." But they 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 tell him to take a hike and leave, which is hilarious because they're all just going back to their cells. Right. <laughs> he just kind of he just kind of walks over to the to the door or wall or whatever, and just puts his thumb out and just stands there. Yeah, awkwardly indeed. Yeah. Uh, we also then get a little uh, section of the Baron hitting on Mina once again, uh, tr- trying to to make small talk that she has is having none of, and then he accidentally walks into some lasers. <laughs> Doesn't he say like, "Oh, oh how did that get there? <laughs> oh, put those there." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this this happens. This actually leads into one of, I think, both of our favorite pieces of dialogue in the movie, where the Baron is really upset that Mina is not paying attention to him, so he decides to get some advice from Dr. Scorpius. Well, yeah, because he can process those human emotions. Right. That's right. Since since he, since he Dr. Scorpius is a human and uh, and the Baron isn't. So this is the piece of conversation that they have, and this is just the best. I don't know. Have you tried um buying her something? Flowers or... Silence! Like, what kind of flowers? Like, a certain kind of... <laughs> that silence! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still smoking the cigarettes as well. I like right, because how... he, really, he really wants the advice, but he's still, you know, like the head hell spawn, so he has to, like, you know, he, of course he's, he's going to shut the guy up by just yelling silence at him. <laughs> He smokes his cigarettes, and uh, and Scorpius goes, I thought you quit. He's like, oh, don't you start. <laughs> don't you start. <laughs> going to have an anxiety attack. I need yeah, a cigarette. Like a freaking anxiety attack. <laughs> the idea of this, like, hell spawn having, a, having an anxiety attack is, <laughs> is a pretty funny concept in and of itself. So uh, then we head back to the Coliseum, uh, where Manborg, because of his uh, accidental success last time, is being pitted against the champion. Who is this giant, ridiculous-looking stop-motion creation? Yeah, he's a big, giant stop-motion. Creation. I think I think we both said that he looks like something out of a Tool video. Yeah, that's right. We, I think we yeah. both had that in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we 
uh, one thing that I noted about this was, and this is one of my favorite things about stop motion animation in general, and you see it on a lot of Ray Harryhausen pictures, that um, that when they interact, when the stop motion creature interacts with Manborg, that uh, briefly Manborg becomes stop motion as well because it's difficult to show him in like his hand and stuff like that. And I right. always get a really big kick out of how they do that. <laughs> just just the, the 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 difficulty of taking a very small piece that is being animated a frame by frame and then having it interact, especially on a budget as low as this. Right. It's also, during this fight, we get a great moment where Justice goes, Oh, I can't watch this! And then just, like, stares right at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you might wonder how this fight is going to turn out, but uh, because Manborg is outclassed, outmuscled. But what happens? Uh, He sprouts a uh, missile launcher from his elbow and fucking blasts the thing. Yeah, blows up its head. (laughs) Blows blows its head up. (laughs) Still has no idea how, how he do does it or why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Baron is very, very upset, uh, especially because he knows that Count Draculon wants these. He wants blood. He wants human blood. Right. So uh, he's he, he knows Draculon's going to be pissed that the humans keep winning, or at least the human and man Borg keeps winning. I want that man, Borg. <laughs> Borg. <laughs> so the Baron's really pissed off about the fact that this uh, happened. So this goes, uh, and he's pissed off at Manborg in particular, so uh, we now see Manborg chained up with the Baron actually examining him, and uh, he says something like, do you look forward to being pulled apart piece by piece? <laughs> Manborg, uh-huh. <laughs> Manborg goes, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we also get our, uh, even though we were introduced near the beginning, uh, the person who was assaulting uh, the person in the alleyway. I should, al- I-, I should also mention there's another great like puppy love moment here, too, where he... Where he gets pissed off and he orders all the prisoners executed. He goes, oh, except for the prisoner number seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in fact, the person he tells to execute the prisoners is Shadow Omega. Shadow Omega is like a female robot who can like transform. And uh, she will play into one of the characters' histories in just a little bit as well. Yep, yep. Yeah, this scene is hilarious because of Manborg's responses to everything. Because he'll be like, "Oh yeah, uh huh." Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> and then uh, now we under, we because you might be wondering, audience who might who probably should have already watched Manborg, you might be wondering how Manborg actually came to be, and we discover here that Doctor Scorpius created Manborg. What? <laughs> this is where Manborg also says, "I woke up in a box." <laughs> but but uh, Scorpius, you know, reveals the history behind Manborg, and Manborg's immediate response is one of disbelief. In fact, he voices his disbelief. I don't believe you. I'll ask the questions here. What? <laughs> what? That what is perfect too. <laughs> we learn that Doctor Scorpius, uh, he. he feels responsible for hell overtaking the earth and it's for a very good reason because it was his fault <laughs> yeah it's entirely his fault he opened the gates to hell through using a computer somehow <laughs> just technology you know it's it's very freakazoid-esque yes absolutely and uh we get a little we uh, he, he he uh hell rises up and we get this great kind of moment where uh using stop motion they they turned uh adam brooks who plays dr scorpius uh, his his hair turns white, 
And uh, I should mention, by the way, Adam Brooks uh, is is probably my favorite a- actor, even though he doesn't have a, a lot to do here. Out of um, out of all of Astron Six, I think he could do the the best uh, dramatic roles. Though right. in this movie, there's not really much of a need for dramatic roles. Right, and he's uh, he's also the he's the lead in Father's Day. Yeah, though there's yeah. there's a, you could see it as having multiple leads, but yeah, definitely he's he's kind of that main character. Right, right. Uh, and so, so when when Manborg discovers that that Dr. Scorpius opened the gates to hell, uh, he has a, a, a typical response. You dick! It's all your fault! And that's him uh, <laughs> unknowingly zapping himself free. <laughs> so, so from that point, uh, Scorpius... Uh, explains how he created uh, Manborg specifically to re- reawaken in the future and to finish hell, finish what he started all those years ago. Right. And uh, he, he gives him a future cassette. A future cassette. <laughs> and they do a very awkward fist bump. Thanks, man. <laughs> then he says, go make things right again. I will! I will! <laughs> <laughs> While this is going on, the prisoners are trying to escape. Uh, and they're almost stopped by one of those stop-motion Cylon-type robots until Manborg breaks down the door, crashing it immediately. And uh, and this is where they escape from their prison cells. Indeed. Yeah. And in fact, uh, they almost uh, are unable to um, unable to get out because they run into a future lock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great because then they're just like, Justice, shoot it! And he shoots it. And, and it opens. opens. <laughs> and it opens. <laughs> it's a future lock. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a suggestion here, of course, that the group who previously did not trust him, they trust him again now. They ask him to come along. Amina gives him the the photo of him and his brother that he had dropped earlier. Uh, as they are escaping, the Baron <laughs> decides to make his move to Mina, <laughs> bringing some flowers to her cell, but he notices that she's gone. Well, blow it again, Baron. <laughs> I called her prisoners number seven, but to me, she was always prisoner. Prisoner number one. Number one. Really? <laughs> and just at that moment, Draculon comes on the screen. He appears behind him, <laughs> and he sees the flowers, and he goes, uh, "Those aren't for me, are they?" <laughs> like, uh, no, they must have utilized them in the escape. I'm gonna go man the artillery gun, <laughs> and he runs away. <laughs> So uh, our four heroes are basically hiding behind a big bunch of boxes because they need to steal some hover bikes. Uh, Manborg is not very good at hiding. There's a great moment where they show him behind a box. <laughs> he is clearly visible. <laughs> They're discovered, uh, but uh, because our four good guys are very good at killing people, they kill the guards. And uh, and we learn, actually, that, that when... when Manborg says to number one man, you kicked that guy's ass back there, which actually might be the longest sentence he has in the movie. Yeah. Number one man goes, of course, I was the one that trained him. And they drive off on hover bikes. Yep. And when they drive off on the hover bikes, it looks like an episode of a mid-90s CG cartoon reboot. <laughs> uh, there's a great moment here, too, where Justice sort of like casually shoots behind him <laughs> and hits this tower and it takes the it takes the tower out, which of course takes out everybody who's following them. Yeah, he shoots the top but, off a building. Yeah, but he's not he's not at all like looking where you just <laughs> boop. And of course, it's 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 should be said too that half of 
the shooting he does. He's not looking where Absolutely. he's shooting. It's great. <laughs> he's a natural. <laughs> <laughs> he also gets shot during the scene, though. Uh, he he uh, blows it off. He just says that it's a scratch. Right. Uh, back to the uh, prison. The Baron is now beating up Doctor Scorpius, uh, and who who I guess he realizes that Doctor Scorpius was in on this whole thing, and then like all these wires come out of the walls and string up. Dr. Scorpius, and the suggestion is that here he is killed. Mm-hmm. But is it for good? I guess we'll see. We'll have to find out. We'll have to find out. <laughs> we we now arrive at the... This is actually the... It's sort of like a, a junkyard or a big trash heap. Uh, and this is where number one man previously, when he escaped the first time from the prison, was hiding out. And this is probably one of uh, Justice's best lines in the film. I would say it might be his finest moment. <laughs> might might be his finest moment. All right, have a listen to some his fine, response. Some fine acting going on right here. <laughs> his response to arriving at this junkyard. The guy's house has made it a newspaper. That means he's poor. poor. There's burger wrappers everywhere. Oh, I think that guy's got garbage on his head. <laughs> Burger wrappers everywhere. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, while they were headed to this yard, we also get a quick flashback uh, showing that Mina and uh, Shadow Omega, they're actually either best friends or sisters. Anyway, they were together, and when they were very young, uh, Lucy, who became Shadow Omega, was taken away from her. So they have a previous relationship. Yeah, and and meanwhile, uh, number one man is pressing some metal over his head, and he's like, pretty good, eh, Mina? <laughs> We also are introduced to a Jawa-like little person, <laughs> played by a, not a little person in real life, but he makes all those Jawa noises. Right, right. Because he can't have a movie like this without some sort of little person. Yep, dink dink. And Justice, is, in particular, is very impressed by this little person. Oh, I gotta go pet that little guy? <laughs> I like that that was your attempt at an Australian accent. I can do a pretty good Australian accent. <laughs> Sick. So uh, they actually go into the area that uh, Number One Man was staying in, and uh, it, it compared to the rest of the movie, it uh, I think you mentioned in the last recording that it's really obviously like a basement. Or something. Yeah, it's just clearly someone's basement, and it's also uh, it's it's like a set where most of the movie doesn't really have a set that's that's quite like all encompassing. Uh, this one just has a, a lot of junk all over the place. Right. And this is a, gives him a chance to kind of uh, rest up for a minute. We also get to see number one man immediately start showing off with some nunchucks for some reason. <laughs> uh, and uh, Justice, you know, he's got his, he has his wounds, and Mina uses some sort of healing thing on him. Mina is kind of upset at the fact that they're uh, that they're resting, and she goes upstairs, upstairs, or outside of their their safety area, and uh, she is kind of faced by Draculon's voice kind of tells her that she's alone uh, and there's a stop motion robot that turns to garbage <laughs> Cause because why the fuck not because why not basically she's being convinced to go back and kind of uh, take out the trash all by herself is kind of a bad idea right but the best thing about this scene is that downstairs Justice and I think it's number one man are trying to make macaroni and cheese yeah and we learned that Justice cannot read he can't read and that's a very important point that for some reason has only been brought up halfway through the fucking movie <laughs> yeah he can't read and he has a lot of trouble following instructions to make mac and cheese and uh, now I said again in the last recording that in Canada 
mac and cheese is generally referred to as craft dinner. Right. That's very important. If it's not. To, if you're coming to Canada and someone offers you craft dinner, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we, we also learned here that uh, it was number one man who poked out the uh, the Baron's eyes uh, when he uh, escaped because he was asked to train their soldiers, the Hellspawn or, soldiers, or die. Or die. <laughs> And this part ends with such a great moment with Justice adding the macaroni too early to the water and it explodes. (laughs) 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 And also during this this downtime, Manborg puts that future cassette into into a player and we uh, we discover that it actually plays a hologram of Dr. Scorpius. And this this is a great like one one of these this little clip we're about to play is one of these great little tropes where they do sometimes where somebody will interact with something that's not supposed to be interacted with and it'll interact back with them. Exactly. So let's yeah. have a little listen. Hello, man. You remember me, don't you? It's your old friend, Doctor Scorpius. Hi. Why am I talking? <laughs> I also love Manborg's. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Quiet, I'm talking. And Dr. Scorpius tells Manborg that he has that it's time for him to fight and to save mankind, which really isn't that different than what he told him before. But right. uh, but it, apparently it was a motivating thing that he has to be the one to stand against Count Draculon. Uh, we discover here that, uh, or the rest of the group discovers, that Mina has gone back to the prison. Uh, and, and in fact, she, she's gone back and kills a guard, but immediately is, is trapped because she's way outnumbered. But Justice finds her note saying that she's leaving, and of course he has some trouble reading it. <laughs> so Manborg has a plan that he's going to go in there and kick some ass, and in fact he gets uh, the, the main tagline of the, the film out. It's never too late to be a hero. You're bonkers, Manborg! <laughs> the funny thing about him saying that is that they then... D- they then do it. They they proceed to train for who knows how long to get ready to go and uh, and take on Draculon. So this is a great montage. Training montage. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of montage where, you know, it starts with number one man beating Manborg in combat, and eventually Manborg learns enough to beat number one man in combat. Yeah, I, lo- I love that we have this, ma- this montage here uh, that we have no idea how long it's supposed to take place, but it can't be more than... <laughs> 20 minutes because Mina's already at the, uh, you know, already fighting at the, at the arena again, or, you know, at the, the compound, you know? (laughs) And I also love that, uh, Dr. Scorpius, the hologram version of him from the recording is helping him train. (laughs) So he basically, despite being a recording acts just like a, just like a living creature. He's the, uh, the, the rimmer of this. That's uh, right. He's the Arnold rimmer of this particular movie. (laughs) Uh, so we, we are brought back to where Mina is, like you mentioned. She's actually hanging in a room full of like Hellraiser-looking hooks hanging down, uh, and Shadow Omega is there and uh, kicks her in the face. They end up fighting with lots of kind of video game uh, special effects and, and flashes and shit, um, because I don't know if the actress who played Mina has any martial arts ability or fighting ability at all, but they hide it pretty well. Mm. But uh, Mina ends up stabbing Shadow Omega in the leg and kicking her in the stomach, uh, and she turns into like this horrific giant stop motion creature thing. Right. They love that shit, and so do I. Me too. Meanwhile, the prisoners arrive, or the former prisoners, and they kill a bunch of guards. In fact, they kill. Th- this is like the most violent part of the movie. They just kill a bunch of fucking people. 
Well, there's this great moment here too, where like they were talking previous about, uh, you know, how their family now and, <laughs> and how they how they need to they need to stay together. And then like the second they arrive back, Van Borg's like, "Well, I'm gonna go." <laughs> yeah, he goes, "Families stick together," yeah. and then he just leaves. <laughs> and what's what's even better is that he gets he, he heads towards an elevator. Uh, to to go meet up with um, with Draculon <laughs> and Justice goes. <laughs> it says danger, but it's it like, says no. it doesn't say danger. It says elevator. It says elevator because he can't read. It's funny. It's funny. Oh yeah. Um, Mina fights uh, continues to fight Shadow Omega and ends up slicing her with her uh, double knives. Um, stabs her uh, and and I think I think she stabs her in the forehead and ends up killing her. And uh, and Manborg now has his confrontation with Count Draculon. Yeah, well, it's a, this is the big setup for the final battles. We've got Mina versus Shadow Omega. And, uh, Manborg's fighting the Count, and I forget who. No, number uh, one man pl- uh, fights the fights the Baron. The Baron, right? Yeah. Uh, and Justice just fights everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this uh, confrontation between Draculon and Manborg is really funny too because uh, Manborg goes, "You killed my brother," <laughs> and Draculon goes, "And take your vengeance." He goes, "Oh yeah!" Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and after that, he blows him out the window and into the middle of the arena, which is still filled with people. I guess there's just a constant stream of fights that go on. They just they just sit there, wait for the next thing. And Draculon now looks like a member of Guar. <laughs> He's all bulked up, yeah. <laughs> and he poses in front of the crowd. And uh, and they're gonna have their big fight. Yeah. Uh, so Justice and Number One Man, they're fighting guards. Uh, oh yeah, Justice. Remember he dances in Moonwalk. Yeah, he's like dance shooting. <laughs> uh, and then Mina shows up as well. Uh, the Baron and Number One Man, they have their big kind of climactic fight. So it's kind of sh- cutting back and forth. There's Manborg fighting in the arena, while the rest of them are fighting their individual uh, nemesis or nemesis eye <laughs> back in the tower. Nemesis I? Nemesis? Nemesis? Nemesis, that's good. That's much, much better. Uh, We didn't really mention that number one man is obviously based on Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat. He's clearly Liu Kang. And it's particularly so in this scene uh, where when fighting the Baron, he does uh, the famous Liu Kang kick. Well, he does one of those earlier when they're fighting the, uh, the hover bike, the bikers in the arena. He does. He does one of those flying sidekicks as well. Right. right, and so it's it's just like Liu Kang. It's his trademark move. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they uh, <laughs> they they have a uh, verbal sparring between Number One Man and the Baron, and uh, this <laughs> it's one of the last great moments for the Baron. But we'll just have a little listen to uh, to. This well, hold on, hold on. Before before you say that, there's actually a really great line between Manborg and the Count. Um, I believe it's Manborg in the Count. Yeah, he goes where, where the Count says to him, he goes, the power of the human spirit will never be... Ob- or who, who, yeah, that's who, actually number one man who says that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, he says that the power of the human spirit will never be obsolete. And he goes, for you! <laughs> so, uh, the, yeah, so the Baron says that he gave number one man the chance to become more than just a man, and then he follows it up with this. What pathetic human desire made you throw it all away? It wasn't love, was it? Yes. <laughs> That's a joke that works better visually, but it's he, a great visual joke. His face it... just drops and goes, "Oh, oh." 
<laughs> and that, of course, leads directly into number one man doing a big series of punches and kicks and sending the Baron into a big electricity bank where he melts and explodes. And that's the end of unf- un- the unfortunate end of one of the better characters in this movie. Pretty sad. It's a little unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> and Mina, I mean, there's still the rest of them are still fighting Mina and Justice. Mina tells Justice to grab some grenades, but he has a lot of difficulty with that because G R a backwards three. <laughs> but he eventually figures out where the grenades are. They put uh, the grenades in Shadow Omega's mouth, and Number One Man kicks her, and she explodes. So all three of them working together killed Shadow Omega. Mm-hmm. So all the secondary baddies are gone. It's time to head to the arena. 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 Manborg right. is still sword fighting. Uh, the whole arena is, is shaking. That's dirty. <laughs> and Draculon cuts Manborg's arm off. Right, because who cares? Because at this point, who gives a shit? We're very close to the end of the movie. Right. Mita, Mita runs in and throws a knife at Draculon, and he ends up hitting her. Draculon hits Mina with an energy blast, and right. that gives Manborg the, uh, the momentary... Uh, time he needs to say this to him. Perhaps you will not. More like asshole. Ooh. Callback. <laughs> and then he stabs him through the neck and he kills Draculon, who then explodes. <laughs> because why not? I mean, like, really, really, a- a- everything should explode when it's done. It reminds me of Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, who right. whenever yeah. he throws anything, it explodes. It explodes, yeah. <laughs> But uh, And it seems like everything is great, everything is awesome, but unfortunately it's not. Mina, who had been hit by the energy blast, it, uh, it's, she got hit by some pure electron energy. Oh, you know what? There's, just, there's a moment here that, that I, I have it in my notes. Um, I, I actually missed it the last time we recorded, so, but, so I'm kind of glad we're doing this again. Uh, <laughs> sure, maybe, it's all maybe, worth it because of that. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the only thing worth it for recording this again. But, the, uh, I, yeah, so he carries out Mina. But he only has one arm. Oh, that's right. So, so how is he doing that? I now I got to go back and see how the fuck he does that. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, she's dead. She had instant cardiac arrest from the energy blast, and there's nothing right. they can do. But Manborg thinks there's something inside of him that can help him. Uh, and you know what? I last time we mentioned that I thought it was like the thing that's inside uh, Optimus's Prime's chest right. from Transformers the movie, and we couldn't remember what that thing was called. I'm assuming you looked it up. That is a great assumption, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So at this moment, I certainly wish that I did, but I did not. Brilliant. But he has sort of this serum inside himself that uh, he takes out of his chest, pours it into her mouth, and it brings her back to life because (laughs) it might as well be called the ex machina in his fucking chest. Yeah, right. Uh, But by doing that, it actually kills Manborg. Well, he only has one heart serum. That's it. Don't tell me that heart serum was the only one you had. It's uh, Irish there. Well, well, I'm from Newfoundland. <clears throat> oh, good enough. <laughs> Dr. Scorpius then arrives in hologram form as Manborg is dying. But it's not just him. He also brings along Manborg's brother, <laughs> who, who has one of the best lines, maybe in the history of cinema. Yeah, absolutely. So, this, in case you weren't sure who this is, he introduces himself. Let's listen to it. Hey, bro. It's me, brother. Remember, I died at the beginning. I just want to say you did right out there. There's no heaven. <laughs> that is the last thing Manborg hears <laughs> before, before dying. 
I love that he says, I died at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so Manfork, the last thing he hears is his brother telling him there's no heaven. Oh, by the way, that thing is called the Matrix of Power. Oh, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Research. I had to look that up. But I'm, yeah. I'm running the boards here today, which, by the way, is why everything got fucked up before. Uh, I'm recording this, and I'm the one doing all the sounds for the first time. So if that all sounds fucked up or weird during this episode, blame me, Doug. Indeed. Indeed, blame me. But this one, this time for sure, man. I got, I, 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 I got shit together. <laughs> but Manborg does die. And after his death... Uh, and Justice crying a little bit. <laughs> I guess he, <laughs> I, I guess he took to uh, old Manborg before his death. Uh, suddenly, all the guards, all the Hellspawn, they all come back to life, and and there's skeletons there uh, as well. And uh, the three surviving good guys, they all pose together and get ready to fight. They punch the screen, and the end. the end. The end. And we have our kick-ass closing credits that play. Uh, Manborg was. Um, it was part of a weird kind of aesthetic 80s thing that was going on back in 2011 or around that time period, right. uh, including the video game Far Cry Blood Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, Hotline Miami. And Hotline Miami as well. And there were some other things as well that were really playing with that. I mean, I think it was also uh, an extension of the movie Drive, which, right. which uh, really did that kind of neon thing uh, and, and the electronic style music. And it really kind of embraced that and kind of brought it to its extreme. I think actually the makers of Blood Dragon said that Manborg was was uh, an influence on them, and uh, and it it it's amazing that they were able to create that look and feel for a thousand dollars. Because I'll tell you what, even though Blood Dragon was really just an extension of a game that already existed, I bet you it cost a hell of a lot more than a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. That is Manborg from Astron 6. However, if you have the DVD of Manborg, once the movie is complete, there's a little secret extra treat. It is the trailer, the fake trailer, though maybe at some point real trailer, for the movie Biocop. Biocop. Now, when we recorded last time, I hadn't seen this that's trailer. Right. So after we were finished, I actually looked it up because it's actually it's on YouTube. Um, whether we whether that's I don't know if it's legit uh, like like yeah. legally on there or not uh, right but but it is on there sure um and man I laughed so fucking hard like I just love the idea that like everybody's having just normal conversations with with BioCop he's like you know BioCop you got to get out there and take care of this medicine he's like oh somebody just kill me so someone just give the listeners an idea of what it's all about BioCop was a regular police officer. Uh, who ended up having an accident that turned him into Biocop. And right. now the, the the kind of central joke of it is it's kind of a traditional buddy cop uh, action movie, except he is basically melting at all times. He is going through these horrific changes where he's turning into this bizarre mutant and trying to constantly kill himself or <laughs> or, or put himself in a situation where he'll he'll get killed. And it is amazing. Yeah, because he can't die. He can't die. That's exactly right. The part where his eyeballs fall out while they're driving in the police car, and then he puts on the sunglasses and gives a thumbs up. <laughs> when my when my family was visiting for uh, over Christmas, I I made them sit down and watch it, and maybe they didn't find it as amusing as I did out of context entirely. The only problem with this biocop trailer is that the la- there's so many laughs in such a short amount of time that it it almost overwhelms some of Manborg, which is funny but kind of spread out a lot more. Right, right. But it's great. I would love, and also it makes you wonder that if in 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 kind of a long form, whether Biocop could possibly live up 
to the humor in this trailer, but uh, but I'll tell you, man, you got to see it. Yeah, it would. Ha- I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe as a short film, but not. I couldn't. I don't know if if I could necessarily watch an hour and a half of it. <laughs> that part at the end where like he's fighting the. the mega bad guy because the trailer isn't really set up like a trailer it's almost set up like a summary of an entire movie right right but he goes to fight this baddie who uh because he wants to get killed by him and the guy the thing beats the living shit out of him but then just starts driving off with him yeah sometimes uh <laughs> sometimes you find uh something yeah, they, becomes they a friendship the whole, of a life that's right they changed the whole tone of the trailer yeah. um while a biocop just looks depressed looking out the window. <laughs> anyway, it's great. We're not going to tell you all the best gags out of it. Uh, and the movie, the DVD version also ends with a really hilarious FBI warning at the very end that you should check out as well. But that's it. You know, it's funny that at the beginning I said that we'd also point out the things we didn't like about Manborg. But I have to say there's not many of them. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there really was much of anything I didn't like about Manborg. If your expectations are, you know... If, especially if you already know what Astron 6 does and what kind of movie this is from like a trailer or something like that, uh, it would be difficult to understand why you'd be disappointed in it because it really does deliver. It's funny. It is fucked up in a lot of different ways. It's, mm. it's uh, very original. I mean, even though it's taking pieces from all these different genres and especially a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff, there really isn't any other movie out there like Manborg. No, it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. Said by the No Budget Nightmares crew. Pretty fantastic. Our our highest rating. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know, our we, highest rating. We talk a lot about the worst movies that we cover on No Budget Nightmares. What do you think is the best movie we've ever covered on No Budget Nightmares? The best? Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I don't know. Manborg would rank up there. Yeah, I'd have to go over the list again. Yeah. I mean, I'd say this is certainly in the upper percentile. And when you consider how low our lower percentile is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it doesn't mean as much, but no, Manborg is definitely worth your time. Get out there and purchase yourself a copy. It's out there. Uh, the tagline of Manborg is, Revenge is back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it, even though it's set up as a, kind of an homage to bad movies, it's not bad in a... It, it's not being, like, intentionally bad. It, right. You know, there, there are some intentionally shoddy elements of it, but this is a well-made movie, and because you can tell that the people who made it had a lot of skill, that's what allows it to separate itself from all those shitty, intentionally Sharknado-ish movies that have come out. Right, right. No, think think of it more like Black Dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except it's it's not it's not even like a a parody like that. No, no, but it's but you know something intentionally shoddily made that works out on a on a much better level. And also made by people who are obviously fans of the genre right. that they're that they're uh, referencing. Exactly. So that's it. Manborg. Yeah! Huzzah! Now, uh, before we talk about where you can find out more about No Budget Nightmares and listen to our podcast, I want to make a quick announcement. Mo and myself will make the announcement about what we're going to be covering on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares. Yes. Now, originally, this was supposed to work really cleanly, which is that we'd, we'd... do the palate cleanser at the end of the year with Manborg and then start off with something really exciting. This, this, because of, of all sorts of fuck-ups, that is not how it's going to play out. But I think people are still going to be happy. <laughs> no complaints here. No complaints here. You may recall, long-time listeners of the podcast. All three of you. All three of you. Uh, we could probably name you <laughs> <one by laughs> we one. Pro- 
we probably already have. <laughs> that we've discussed in the past, uh, a sort of all-star collection, an all-star collaboration between no-budget filmmakers that was being uh, put together. I think Brad Sykes was the person who put it together. Um, just over the last couple of years called High Eight. And yes. uh, this this includes directors of, of films covered on No Budget Neighbors, guys like Tim Ritter, guys like Todd Sheets, uh, Ron Bonk, and Donald Farmer. And they're really uh, – all the people who were involved in this are names from the uh, 90s and early 2000s when it comes to shot-on-video horror and exploitation movies. People who sometimes – some of them haven't made movies in a while. Some of them have continued to work. But this is an opportunity to celebrate that kind of golden age – of that no-budget aesthetic in the mid-90s. Indeed. And we, the first time we heard about it, both Mo and myself, we've been super excited to check this out. It's an Absolutely. anthology movie where each one of these directors get a chance to do their own segment and tell their own story. And, I mean, you want to... I mean, we're both curious about where these guys are now in terms of their skill, but also this is an opportunity for them to kind of be celebrated and be recognized for what they've accomplished. Uh, and, you know, th- that's what we are. This is what this podcast is about. So, th- to me, this is a, a synergy. Yeah, this is, this is super, I'm super excited about this. Like, I really cannot wait to watch this. And there's also there's other names that are involved that would be really recognizable to fans of this show. Joel Weinkoop is there. Johnny Dickey did some of the effects on it, I think. Uh, and so this is just going to be kind of a fun uh, celebration of no budgetness, but also, you know, we're coming at it not really knowing what to expect because I don't know really like the content of it. I've never even seen a trailer for it. Mm. I, we did post the trailer, I think, a while ago on our group, but I wanted to go in as clean as possible. So on the next episode of the No Budget Nightmares podcast, we're going to watch High Eight from 2013. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'm uh, really uh, just baffled. <laughs> that it even exists. That, that it, yeah, it actually is kind of crazy that that we've gone to the point where the fandom for these kind of movies has gotten to the point where something like this could be released on a on a fairly wide uh, level. It, it, right. It, it, I actually I think it's currently available through Wild Eye releasing. Let me actually make sure that that's the case since I don't want to direct people to the wrong place. Yeah, it's currently available on Wild Eye releasing, so uh, go pick up a copy now. Get it, watch it, so you can join us for our next episode. I'm super... Yeah, I can't wait to see this. This is good. Uh, yeah, I, I know I sound dead here, but I am actually incredibly excited to watch this. Well, Mo, you only have to go to work in about a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, if both people want to find out more about No Budget Nightmares, if they want to uh, follow us on social media, what's the best way for them to do so? Oh, the best way is they can contact us right through Facebook. Just go right to facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares. Yeah, or do a search for No Budget Nightmares. You will find us. He- head over there, and uh, you can converse with some of your favorite low-budget filmmakers. You can promote some of your shit, and you can find out about all the updates when it comes to the show and explanations for why we haven't recorded Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can also find both of us on Twitter. Uh, Mo is at drunk on VHS, all one word, and I am at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. Easily found. If you want to look for uh, old episodes of the podcast, or you want to subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher, just head over to nobudgetpodcast.com. Uh, you can also contact us through there if you want to directly uh, email us. So that's all of our contact information in one kind of easy to digest chunk. Yep. Mo, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time before we finish up, but have you seen anything interesting lately, movie-wise? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I watched uh, the incredibly fun and uh, exciting John Wick. John Wick. Now, those who do follow <laughs> me on Twitter know that I, I went a little John Wick crazy around the holidays. Uh, I am, probably went a little bit too far, but I put it on my top ten list of 2014 over at dailygrindhouse.com, which I also f- forgot to mention I write for. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I love it. I think John Wick is – it's one of the – I spent most of my comment, my paragraph about John Wick on my top ten list – Basically saying people who really loved the movie Lucy, which I did not like at all, John Wick was the movie that they should have been talking about. Yeah. Because it, that is re- it really is a return to the kind of uh, um, American action movie, even though it is influenced by Asian action movies. But it's such a cleanly made movie. It has this great world building in it, and the action itself is so well directed. So it's not like full of edits. It's just well choreographed. It's just right. a really beautifully made movie. Right. Um, so yeah, so I watched that, and I watched—I uh, don't know if I mentioned this on, on any previous episodes—but I watched uh, Birdman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and you like that a lot, eh? <laughs> I did. I really enjoyed it. I, I just recently, because I'm also trying to kind of catch up on some of the 2014 movies I missed. I recently, I saw Birdman as well. I don't think I liked it as much as you did, uh, but I also saw Whiplash, which I really, really liked. Uh, mm. And and because you are a musician, a man <clears throat> of music, I think that you will also very much appreciate the. Uh, the, the whiplash and, and how it really celebrates the amount of work you have to put in to being a great musician. That's well, I would, I was gonna say, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> it's not really a celebration of that actually, when you actually watch it, but I still think that you'll dig it. So, uh, so yeah, whiplash, but very much the movies we're talking about, Birdman, uh, whiplash, not exactly the kind of movies, uh, no budget <laughs> fans will necessarily be checking out. Right. I've also watched a bunch of Rapture, as I mentioned earlier, Rapture-based movies for an upcoming podcast. I'm doing a separate one from this. Uh, so I'm, I'm deep into the end of the world lately, and a very Christian idea of the end of the world at that. <coughs> these, these movies, they're so fucking horrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, I, I, like, I'm a big fan of, like, propaganda films, you know, like, in general. And I, I, think, I think, like, Rapture films are probably the closest thing that we have to like true propaganda films these days. Uh, I just, like, I just don't know if I'd be able to put up with it. It's, I didn't realize how similar they would all be. Yeah. Uh, because there's only so many ways you can tell this story because right. it, you, you, you got a book that you're going by <laughs> and people are a little, little, uh, they, they want you to be as close to that book as possible. Right. As exactly. long as it agrees with whatever they, anyway, but let's not get into that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, keep your eye out for that. I've also been revisiting uh, the films of John Carpenter that I'd not previously seen because I'm doing a podcast at some point where we're going to be covering his entire filmography. And uh, I, I'd never seen – what do you mean? Ugh. No, it just sounds like such a daunting – It and, is a huge amount of work. Yeah. So I'm really just, just uh, hitting up the ones that I hadn't uh, seen before, specifically his um, his late 70s TV movies, so, uh, Someone's Watching Me and the Elvis movie. Uh, and uh, I think there's a couple of others that if I maybe I haven't seen for years and years that I need to catch up on. But you know, it's also an opportunity to like I just watched Halloween again for the first time in years, and mm. Dark Star, and yeah, it's a lot of fun because you know it's John Carpenter, so he makes a lot of good fucking movies. Yeah, and if you remember, and Dark Star, you know, ties into the no budget nightmares as well because you know what? Was... while I was watching it, I was thinking that at some point it would actually be a lot of fun to cover Dark Star on the show. Sure. It would fit. It fits. Well, no, I was thinking more because there's that character in Duck uh, who's completely obsessed with <laughs> That's Dark right. Stuff. Boy, look at that. Pulling it out. <laughs> Call back. Uh, but, yeah, so, so Dark Star also a good low-budget movie for everyone to check out. 
Uh, and a student film at that, really. All right, we're going to finish up right now. Thank you so much for your patience. Listeners, we'll be back very soon with High 8. Moe's going to go get himself better and get himself dressed and get himself over to work. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Good night, folks. Love you. Bye-bye.